0: All right. What's going on, Faith Church? Good to see you guys, man. What's going on? Roll Tide? Go Buckeyes. Come on, y'all won. Can I get a little bit of love? We won, too. Hey, man, it's great to see everybody here, man. So thankful for our Faith Church family. If this is home to you, we're glad that you're here. Each and every week, man, I want you to know it is the highlight of my week to get to be here, to be your pastor to get to do church together, worship the Lord together. And so, man, we just want you to know, man, we love you guys. Great to have you here. want to welcome all those who are watching online, man. We're glad you're tuning in. Let's give it up especially, man, for our Faith Church family up in Lawrenceburg. We love you guys. Last week, had the opportunity to be with you, man. So thankful for what God is doing. Had the privilege to meet a lot of new faces. And just want you to know, man, we are so excited what God is doing together through our Faith Church family throughout this area. It's good. It's good. If you're a VIP, if this is your first time, hey man, welcome. We hope today is life-changing for you because that's what we pray each and every week for each and every person, however you connect. So, well, it's December, baby. Can you believe it? It is December. December is here. We are just a few weeks away from Christmas. And as we step into the month of December, just one month away from a brand new year, we want to spend some time talking about Christmas and really what it means. In fact, how many people here in this room, you have a nativity set? You have something like this either in your home, or you have one out in your front yard, you got the blow-ups, or how many of you grew up with one? You have one in your home growing up. Yeah, a lot of us, man. We, we have them. They're all over. Here's what's crazy is that as you step into this time of the year, most of you have, uh, at least in our house, we get ahead, a little bit ahead every year, earlier and earlier decorating. I had a friend that had a tree out halfway through October. Truth. Um. So we decorate a little earlier, but there's a season where, especially if you have a nativity where you go up into the attic or you go down into the basement and you, you, know, you get your nativity and you unbox it and you set it out, right? And then Christmas ends and you box it back up and you, know, you put it back in the attic or back in the basement or out in the shed or wherever you store your Christmas decorations. And so what I want to talk about for the next few weeks is just this idea that we have to get away from bubble wrap religion. And we got to get back to the true message of Christmas, where Jesus in the message of Christ and what he came to do is not something you box up and put away and something you get out and you kind of hear for a few weeks or a few months or for a few days and then you put it back away. In fact, I would say this way, and this is where we're going to go through this entire series entitled B. If you're taking notes, this is the whole idea is that Christmas is not only an event to be celebrated, but it is an experience to be lived. Come on. I mean, here, here's what I want, want you to know is that the nativity is more than a festivity. It's a called activity. Whoa, it's not just like this thing where like, oh, God is so good, and we show up for a few Christmas services, and we sing some Christmas songs, and then we pack Jesus up, and we put the message away until the next year comes. That really this, this whole thing that's reflected um, in your nativity scene or our nativity scene, that there really is a message that as it gets into your heart and into your life, it changes who you are and ultimately should change how you live. And so <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is a big deal. So we're, gonna, we're just going to kind of take a look on the inside. You know, I mean, think about the nativity scene. I, I, I love it. First of all, I mean, you, you always have in a nativity scene, and they're all a little bit different. Some have cattle. Some have uh, some cows and some sheep. Some don't. Some have angels and some don't. But every nativity scene like they all have like you got to have the you got to have like the, the minimum you have to have the entry level version. Yeah. Like you got the big dollar version, you got several angels, you got all kind you got camels. Like this is just the entry level. Every entry level has some kind of manger and obviously some kind of some kind of Joseph and you have a Mary. And then obviously the center piece of Christmas is who? Jesus. It's Jesus. And so You have the center. Here's what I think is really funny, and this is one of the things when I mean we have to get away from bubble wrap religion, is that this is our mindset of what that first Christmas morning was like, that Mary's bowed down the precious side of Jesus, and Joseph is humbly looking down upon the newborn son. Come on, man, I have three kids. This is not what it looked like at all. Mary just went through 12 18, 24 hours of hard labor, no pain meds. She's laid out. This is Mary. Joseph has a kid that's not his first-time daddy, never changed a diaper, never never gave a kid a bottle. He has no idea. He's over here in the corner weeping because he's lost his life. He's never going to see his friends again. That's the true Christmas picture right there. Jesus still came. He's still the son. But how many people know, come on, we have dressed this thing up and it's, it's all nice and neat. We got to break the glass and get back to what really Christmas is about. That's right. And so here's, what's, here's what we're going to do is we're going to read Luke chapter 2, verse... We'll, we'll go back because some people are upset because I laid Mary down. <laughs> if you're Catholic, you're having a really hard time right now. Let's go back. So we're going to read Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9. And... Uh, as you go through this story, Luke is one of the gospel writers. The word gospel means good news. Basically, if you're new to the Bible or new to spiritual things, there are four biographical sketches of the life of Jesus recorded in the New Testament. Four gospel writers, four good news writers who took the life of Jesus, his, the things he taught, the things he did, the miracles he worked his entire life and recorded it in their writings, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke is the one who really captures this picture. In fact, it says this, check it out. It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And they were afraid. I bet they were. I mean, if you're hanging out on the night shift and an angel shows up and you can't see because it's so bright, how many people know you're going to be a little hung up about that? So it's okay. I mean, it's kind of weird, but it says, but the angel, watch this. Hey, reassure him. It's okay, boys. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. He says, and you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined with a vast host, of others and the armies of heaven praising god and saying here's the song they sung that angelic choir on the morning jesus was born glory to god in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom god is pleased and when the angels had returned to heaven the shepherds said to each other let's go to bethlehem let's see this thing that has happened which the lord has told us about and they hurried to the village and found mary and joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger after seeing him the shepherds told everyone what had happened And what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. So here's the question you have to ask if you you are a reader of the New Testament. Maybe you've heard the story. You've heard the Christmas story. Maybe you've just read this for the first time. You have to ask this question. Why did Luke go to the trouble to record all of these details? About shepherds and flocks and it's nighttime. and why did he go to all the, all the trouble to record angels showing up in choirs and, and the shepherds coming and finding Jesus? The reason you have to ask that question is because none of the other gospel writers record it. None of the other, biogra- none of the other biographical sketches record these details at all. And so you have to ask, why did Luke include this in the biography of Jesus' life? In fact, when you go to Matthew, Matthew doesn't really record the birth of Jesus. He records a few things. He records that, um, some details surrounding it because Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience and he was trying to let them know that Jesus was the promised Messiah and the way that they could be sure that he was the promised Messiah, that for hundreds of years God was sending messages through prophets that he was going to send a rescuer, a redeemer, a deliverer. And it came with all of these prophecies, the way we would know him, the way we would recognize him. And so the purpose of Matthew's gospel, in part, is to let his Jewish audience know, hey, he's the guy. He was born of a virgin. Matthew records that. He was born in Bethlehem. Micah, the Old Testament prophet, said that's where the Messiah would be born. But he doesn't record the birth. You get to Mark. Mark doesn't mention anything. Mark jumps right into the life of Jesus when he's an adult. You get to the Gospel of John, his biographical sketch. He doesn't mention the birth of Jesus at all. He goes back and talks about Jesus as being pre-incarnate. What that means is that Jesus, before he showed up here on planet Earth, he was the eternal son of God. He was God in eternity past, but he wrapped himself. Come on, somebody, in humanity, God showed up for us. But then it skips right ahead and jumps right into the ministry of Jesus. So it's really only Luke that gives us this picture of what we call the nativity. And again, you have to ask yourself why. And here's why, if you're taking notes, I want you to really get this because here's where we're going to go today, is Luke's focus isn't that Jesus was born, but where Jesus was born. He wasn't trying to say, hey, I want everybody to know he was born. Like We figured it out. You don't have to tell me you were born. I can see you're here, which means you were born at some point, right? So Luke wasn't trying to convince people that Jesus was born. The reason he included in his biography of Jesus, all of these details we read in Luke chapter 2, is again, he's not trying to convince us that he was born, but where he was born. That was really, really important. Here's why. Because where you're from adds credence to your credentials. Come on, if you tell me where you're from, I'll know something. I don't even have to know you. Tell me where you're from. Where I grew up in Akron, tell me you're from the east side, the north side, the south side, or the west side, and I'll tell you something about you. I was from the east side. Someone told, Pastor Caleb asked me the other day, he's like, where are you from? I was like, akron east side baby he's like does that come with a gang sign i'm like yes <laughs> it means i'm the boss i can do what i want <laughs> he's like no i mean like are you from ireland are you from i said no i'm from east side of akron that's where i'm from born and raised but again you tell somebody where they're from and all of a sudden it, it says something about their credentials and that's why luke was writing for example let me just give you a couple of things so let's just say you're traveling you're in a third world country the worst thing happens, you get captured by some off-group, terrorist group, and they're holding you. Who do you want to come to your rescue, the Costa Rican Army or our American Navy SEALs? And some of you are like, what's wrong with the Costa Rican Army? Because according to Google, the worst army on the planet. <laughs> and I'm just saying, you hear, like, I, you, don't even, I, you say, well, Pastor, well, who are they? I'd like to interview them. I'd like to talk. No, all you have to hear is Navy SEAL. That's who I want coming to get me, send the Navy SEALs. Come on. Uh, Let's say you get falsely accused of a crime. You get falsely accused of a crime. Do you want someone who's graduated the University of Puerto Rican uh, uh, law school, or do you want someone from Harvard defending you? Come on, Harvard school, one of the best law schools in the nation. got Here we go, Puerto Rican, what's wrong? I'm just telling you, Google ranks them as one of the lowest law schools in the nation. Now, let's say you need emergency surgery. You're going in on a knife, you don't have time to pick a doctor. All you have is a list of where they're from, where they went to school. Are you picking somebody who went to night school, Homer's Barber College? Or are you picking someone who went to Cambridge University of Medicine? Come on, Cambridge. Why? Because where we're from says something about our credentials. It qualifies us. And so Luke is saying, I want you to know that, yeah, Jesus eternally was from heaven, but really where he's from was a humble little manger. See, you would think, where would Jesus be from? I mean, if he's the king, he would be from a palace, he would be from a castle, he would be from somewhere important, but he wasn't. If Jesus, part of his mission was to be the go-between between creator and creation. If the goal of Jesus was to bridge the gap between sinners and a righteous, holy God, then you would think, man, he's a priest. He would be born in the temple. Jesus somehow was born in in the center of Jerusalem, in the temple, but he wasn't born in a palace, and he wasn't born in the temple. He was born in a barn. He had his beginning in a barn. He showed up in a stable, and you got to say, what? Why did Jesus, I mean, the, the eternal Son of God, why did He get his beginning? Why did he show up in what we call the nativity? It's because Paul, he writes, talking about who Jesus really was, and he says this, check this out, Philippians chapter two. He says, "You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now let me just stop the purpose that Paul is specifically writing this is he's saying if you love God and say you follow God, you got to start to think like God. If you love Jesus and say Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you need to start to think and live and act like Jesus, which what you're going to see here is one of the primary characteristics of Christ is that he was a servant. And so if we are going to say we follow Jesus, then we should be willing to serve each other as well. And so he says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now check out how he was humble. Watch this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So he was God. He was the eternal son of God. He said, I'm not going to hang on to my divinity. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. What Paul is writing is in what the picture of the Nativity is about is about how far Jesus was willing to go. How far he was willing to go, how low he was willing to go, the depths he was willing to go to to rescue people like you and me, that he was willing to go to the lowest of low to get to people who were at the lowest. Of low, it was Jesus was born and was a proclamation of his passion for people. Where Jesus was born was a proclamation of his passion for people. He said, "I don't just love upper scale people, and I just don't love religious people in temples, and I don't love important people in palaces. I love everyday people. I love white people and black people and rich people and poor people. I love all people. So I'm going to go to the lowest of low to say that I am. This is a proclamation. I am passionate about people." That's what the nativity is about. Now, think about this for a second. I mean, in my mind, I know this isn't how it really went, but I imagine there was times, right? I mean, Jesus, when you read, there were times he even struggled with the plan of the Father. times he prayed, man, if there's another way to pull this thing off, God, then then let it happen because I'm not really digging this path. So I imagine God the Father and God the Son having this powwow in heaven, right? Like, okay, Jesus, here's what we're going to do. You ready? We're going to rescue our creation. All right, you ready? Jesus like, I'm ready. He's like, okay, I'm going to send you. He's like, I'm good. He's like, but you can't go as God. you got to go as a human. He's like, okay. Okay, I'm in. I'll go as a human. Now, you can't go just as any human. you got to go as a slave. Wait, what? Because Jesus, when you watch his life, he wasn't worshiped. He constantly served in the dust and the dirt and met everyday people where they were, broken, hurting, and loved them and served them. Okay, I'm in. I'll go as a servant. Now, listen, God's the Father's like, listen, this is how this is going to end. It doesn't end well. You're going to die. Okay, this is getting rough. And it's not just going to end with your death. It's going to end with the worst horrific type of death ever in the history of humanity, a crucifixion. So wait a minute. So I'm God the Son, but you're going to send me on a rescue mission for humanity, and I can't go in divinity. I have to go in humanity, not just as any human, but as a slave. And the way it's going to end is I'm going to die, and I'm not just going to die any death. I'm going to die the most horrific death. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm in because they're worth it. That's what this is about. This is a picture that Jesus was willing to go to all lengths to reach all people. Come on, somebody. Paul, he writes later, and he says it this way. Check this out. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody here thankful for the generous grace? Anybody here been transformed? Anybody here God showed up in your life and saved you? Anybody here forgiven, and you're thankful for the generous grace of God? Come on and give him some praise. He said, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then he qualifies it. that, that Though he was rich, Yet for your sake, my sake, he became poor. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. See, this is a picture of poverty because Jesus went to the lowest of low to make you rich. He declined himself to elevate you. This is what what I call the divine exchange. Jesus took our sin and our punishment and he gave us his righteousness Jesus was accepted in heaven, worshipped in heaven as the eternal son of God. He was adored in heaven, constant angelic worship around the throne. And he showed up on planet earth to be beat up by his, or rejected by his family, probably when he was a kid, beat up by his brothers, rejected by the Roman Empire, hated by the religious establishment. And he faced all of that rejection and all of that shame so you and I could experience all of the acceptance and all of the glory of being a child of God. Come on. So he said, I'm going to experience what you experience so you can experience what I experience. I'm going to come where you are so you can come where I am. Come on, somebody. That's what the nativity is about. He sacrificed his comfort to secure your comfort. He was rich and became poor. That by his poverty, you might become rich. I mean, wow. Several uh, several weeks ago, right? We most of you guys know, hanging around here, we have a dog, and he's kind of gotten kind of fat. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, it's this thing. Everybody tells, like, our family, "Hey, don't give him any scraps. Don't feed him. Don't feed him." And everybody, when nobody else is looking, gives him something. So who is in human pounds? He weighs like three or four hundred pounds. And so he does this thing where he just kind of he just casually walks around the house, and he really, he's very easygoing. He don't bark a lot. He, don't, he never chews anything, never messes in that. He's just a good dog. But he, he's, it's really an act because when he needs to turn on the energy, I mean, he can go to zero, and get zero to 60 in like 1.3 seconds. So what he does, he saves up his energy for that one moment when we open the door to get a package or open the door to let somebody in. And that dog, I'm telling you, he goes from seven years old to like you know, a month old and he is gone quick. So he didn't sneak out the door this time. I don't know how he got off, but my son let him out. We have a leash on the back, a long leash he can run, and we typically don't leave him out long because he likes it warm in the winter and he likes it air-conditioned in the summer. So you leave him out too long, that's when he barks. He barks to get in, not to get out. So my son lets him out, and I, I, he's out for a few minutes, and I realize he's, he's not barking, and so I think I better get up and let him in. So I go to let him in, and I look, and I follow his leash to the end of the yard. I get to the end of his leash, and there's no dog, it's just a collar. I don't know how that fat neck got out of that collar, (laughs) but it did. So I think, oh, I got to go get this dog. Now, uh, I I was working on school papers all day, so I'm in shorts and a T-shirt. That's it. And I think, I got to hurry and go get this dog because every second, I don't know how long he's been gone, up to 10 minutes, he's at risk to get on the highway and get hit by a car. And it's not because I care about my dog. I mean, he's okay, but I thought he's my daughter's dog. I love my daughter, so I need to go get my daughter's dog because I love my daughter. So I'm on a rescue mission, and I'm not about to go alone, so I recruit my son because, let's be honest, he let him out and didn't let him in the first place. So he don't have any shoes on either, so I'm like, Zach, we got to go. Let's go. You don't let the dog in. He got away. We got to go find him. So we are driving. Now, this is when it was like 20 degrees, right, like a week or two ago. We're driving through our subdivision. Now, I think more highly of myself than I should sometimes. So I'm a little embarrassed that I'm driving around. I got my hair all busted. It's not combed. Window down. It's freezing. Screaming out, Phineas! Like, I want to yell loud enough that he can hear me, but not so loud my neighbors notice me. Come on. (laughs) Phineas! I'm like, how much do I love my daughter? I mean, because you can get dogs for free in the paper all day long. I see the ads all the time. But I love my daughter enough that I'm on a rescue mission. Now, here's, here's the thing. is Finally, we, we drove all around, all around. All. We get back home. The dog is in the side yard. That's how fat and lazy he is. He had a chance to run and got like 10 feet. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, I love my daughter as much as I love anything on planet Earth. I mean, she's, she's my number one. And I was questioning getting a little cold and a little awkward yelling his name. Jesus loved you so much, he sacrificed divinity, he sacrificed his life, he sacrificed his worship to come on a rescue mission and to be born in a barn, to show up in a stable for you and I because he loves us. It is a passionate declaration about people. Here's the thing you have to get because you might be here and you might say, Pastor Steve, wait a minute, there's no way God will show up for me because, man, my life is in shambles and I've got this stuff going on and if you really knew what was going on in here or in here or in my life, you know, so I'm ashamed about it or I'm okay with it, but, the, you know, the world around me rejects it, and I got this struggle, I got this issue, I got this habit, I got this lifestyle, my family's pushed me out, my, you know, my wife's divorced me, my kids don't want to talk to me, whatever it is, you might feel like somehow that you are disqualified from the message that while Jesus went low, he never went low enough. But what I want you to know is, again, that Jesus was born in a barn, in a stable, in a place where, where animals defecated, you have to imagine the stench and the smell and everything that was around. But being born in the mess was a key part of the message. Jesus was saying, I'm willing to get down in the dirt in the nitty-gritty and the stink of life because of that's where you are, that's where I'll come to get you. Come on, somebody. So whatever you're going through, wherever you're at, wherever you find yourself, however you got there is not relevant is that the message of the nativity It's not something we just celebrate. It's something God wants us to experience, to experience the Savior coming to rescue you. So, see, here's, this is really a distinctive, what we're talking about today, because there are different, different worldviews. There are different religious philosophical systems. Let me just go through them real quick, because maybe this is where you're from, or maybe how you grew up, or maybe right now how you think, if... We know that as a church, we have people of all kinds of backgrounds that come here. And one of the philosophical or religious uh, worldviews to have are, is atheism. Theism meaning God, A meaning not, meaning not God. There's no God. And for those who believe there's no God, I, let's just talk about this for a second. That means that, that you came from nowhere and from no one. No God means there was no God in the beginning that you showed up and there's, there's no purpose for you being here. God didn't have anything to do with you, so you have no purpose. You have no meaning in life. You are just part of this big galaxy. You are pieces and particles of the cosmos come together by accident, and here you are. And when you suffer, you suffer alone. When you hurt, you hurt alone. And when you die, you die alone. And there's no God in between. There's no God in the beginning. No God to be there for you in the middle, no God to rescue and no God waiting for you. Richard Dawkins, one of the four horsemen, it's what they're called, one of the new atheists, he said it this way. He said, because this is his viewpoint, he says, says, the universe is cold, bleak, and empty. So what? So you, you can think that way, but that's one philosophical world system. Another one is deism. Deism. What deism teaches, and some of you maybe this is how you grew up or what your background is. Deism basically says there is a God. He put the whole thing in motion, but he's kind of like an absentee dad. Like he showed up because of our rebellion. God's turned his back on his creation, and he's not engaged. He doesn't care. So while God is the reason for our beginning, he's not here, he's not near, he's not with us, he's not for us. Um, You can be good or not be good, whatever, some of you who grew up with an absentee father, right? You never hear from him. They don't text, right? Nothing. He's, he's, you know he's there, but that's about it. And when you die, maybe he's there, maybe he's not. And then there's theism. Theism. Basically, theism is a lot of what is what we see today on planet Earth. Theism is that there is a moral, holy, righteous God that is the cause in the beginning of creation. However, even though there is a God, there's no savior. So it's up to you to save yourself, which is where religion comes in. You have to be good enough to please this, this God. Like, and so we do everything we can to try to, to try to connect, to try to make it because he's holy and we're not, because he's righteous and we're not. We try to do everything we can within our strength, within our power, within our systems, within our religious philosophies within what we do Sunday mornings or however we handle our time we're trying to just make this God who's unhappy because we're unholy happy and Jehovah witnesses believe if they'll witness enough they can be part of the 144,000 and Muslims believe if they'll 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 pray five times a day and make their pilgrimage to Mecca or you know whatever it is everybody's got their system and it's really called religion and what religion does religion only has two ends either pride or despair It'll either make you pride and arrogant to make you think that you're good enough to get the attention of a God. Or for a lot of people, it's just despair that no matter how hard I try, man, I just can't escape me. Come on. Like on my best day, I'm not good enough. But here's what I want to talk about because while there is atheism, no God, and there there is deism, there's a God who's not involved, turn his back. There's theism, there is a God who's involved. We're just trying to reach out to him and we're just not good enough because there's no Savior This is, watch this, the nativity exclusivity. The nativity is exclusivity. It is the only message that there is a God, but there is also a Savior, that while we can never be good enough to reach him, he reached down and reached us. Come on, somebody. That's the difference of this. That's the difference of the nativity. That there is a God who was the creator of the universe, who put everything into motion, who made us to be in relationship. He made you to be in relationship with God. We see all the way in the beginning that while we had a choice to choose a relationship with God, we chose something other than that and sinned under the world and divided us creation from creator. And there's nothing we can do to bridge the gap, nothing we can do to fix what's broken. While we were not good enough, God was God enough, and he sent his son Jesus that we celebrate during the Christmas season 2,000 years ago. We honor his birth because he came as the Savior of the world. It is the nativity, it's exclusivity. It's the only message that someone came to rescue you. Come on, somebody. So check this out. Keep going. Give me my next slide up here. So... Here's, here's the thing, as you look through it, again, Jesus, he's born, he's, he's the eternal Son of God. He shows up in a manger, shows up born in a barn, gets his start in a stable. But if you're taking notes, where he was born didn't diminish his value, but established our value. It didn't take away from who he was, it just elevated who we are. And here's here's why. Watch this. Here's why. Because do you know who got the first? Who got the first notification that Jesus was born? I mean, because Mary and Joseph, they were there. Like, you would think parents got the first notification. Like, they started sending out emails. They put a post on Instagram, right? Do you know who got the first notification? Do you know who got the first? Shepherds! Now... If you have a nativity, most of you raise your hands. Everybody has one of these. You have or will have it set up around your house, and we just take these guys for granted. Here's what you need to know. This is so crazy. Is it, These were the guys. Remember we read it in Luke chapter 2. After Jesus was born, an angel showed up and told some shepherds in the field, watching their flock by night, hey, come check this out. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, he's been born. A choir shows up. They're celebrating. And they say, hey, let's, let's go check this thing out. Is this legit? Is this real? Let's go find out if, if what we just heard is real, which to me, angels in the middle of the night and choirs showing up. That's, I don't even need to go see it. I'm going to buy it right there. But they went to check it out for themselves. Now, here's what you need to know, is these guys right here, I mean, see, don't they just look as humble as Joseph. <laughs> these guys right here in first century Palestine were lowlifes. They were on the lowest social rung of the ladder. They were rejected. They were despised. The Mishnah, which is the oral law of Jews, said this, that they were incompetent. If you found a shepherd in a pit, you didn't have to rescue them because they're not valuable. They're less than human. When you read the Gospels, Jesus is recorded as as ministering to people. And, And the Gospel writers say it this way, all the way down to sinners and tax collectors. Like that was the lowest of the, that was the bottom of the barrel, sinners and tax, if you were a tax collector. Again, the oral law, the Jewish tradition, when these guys were around in the first century that we read about in Luke chapter two, they are also included, not just tax collectors, but tax collectors, dung sweepers, and shepherds. You say, what's your point? I'm telling you that God wrapped himself in flesh and showed up to rescue us. They didn't find this out on their own. God sent angels to declare to him. God could have told anybody. He could have sent the angels anywhere. He could have sent them to Herod's palace. He could have sent them to the temple. He could have sent them to the center streets, but he didn't. He sent him out to a field where the lowest of low was. He said, listen, I'm going to reach anybody, which means no matter who you are, Jesus came for you and he just didn't come for you, but he can be used by you. God can make a difference, not just in your life, but through your life. Come on, are y'all hear what I'm telling you. If the shepherds can be somebody you can be somebody so he goes and he says okay they get the story and they say this they say let's go see everybody say see See. we've got to go see this thing that we've just heard about if you're in this room and you're you're new to spiritual things maybe this is your first week in church maybe this is your first time ever watching online you have questions questions are okay god's big enough for your questions and i'm just going to tell you i've been doing this for 25 years I still got questions. But I've I've seen enough, I've read enough, I believe there's enough evidence, and I've experienced enough life change to me that I'm convinced that Jesus truly is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Maybe you need to go see for yourself, and that's okay. Check it out. But for a lot of us in this room, we've already seen it. Come on, anybody here ever, you already know Jesus is Savior. So now, here, here's what we're going to talk about because the title of the series is Be. And you're like, Pastor, you've not said be yet because all of us in this room, you need to be a shepherd. You know what a shepherd was at that time? In this story, they were a teller. You need to be a teller. He said, Let's go see. And once they've seen it, you know what they said? Let's go tell. Everybody said, Let's go tell. If you really have experienced, you've really seen that Jesus is the Savior, now your obligation, now your call, now your requirement is to go tell. And you probably feel like a shepherd, like, I don't know, I'm not I'm not really qualified enough, I'm not really important enough. No, no, no. If these guys can go tell, you can go tell. Yes, right. Yes, right. I mean they're I mean I imagine these cats running in the street, right? And they they got the roads pulled up, whatever they weren't, and they're running through the streets. And I imagine it with the Southern accent. Good Lord, y'all, we just seen some angels in the field. That's my Pastor Ryan impression. Here's the thing. Listen, watch. This is really important. The Bible doesn't say that everybody who heard it believed. Bible said everybody who heard it marvelled. Someone be like, man, them cats are crazy. I don't know what they're drinking, but I'd like to have some. Some people thought that's really amazing. We need to go check it out for ourselves. Everybody marvel. Listen, your job is not to make anybody to believe. Believe. Your job is to make people marvel at who God is to you, what God's done for you, what God's done in your life, of how Jesus has changed me, of how He's how He saved me, of how He's restored me. I'm not the same person I was when I met Jesus because since I met Him, I've been following Him, and the more I follow Him, the more I'm like Him. And so I don't have to be smart to be a teller. I just have to be, have an experience to be a teller. And so I know we live in a society that says, shh, on the religion. Don't talk about it. And these shepherds refuse to allow social standing to qualify what they say. They didn't have a right to speak to anybody, but they said it anyhow. So be a teller. As we step into... Christmas season, be a teller. You might say, Pastor Steve, you know, my faith is personal. Your faith, faith is personal. It's very personal as God deals with us on our everyday struggles and challenges. But faith, if it's real faith, is never private. God doesn't even give you that option. He says it's not a a light that you hide under a bushel. It's something you put on a hill. Something you let everybody see and everybody know about. Say, what if people see that I'm not perfect? That's the point. Perfect people don't need a Savior. Broken people do. People in the mess need a Savior. So you're not not saying, God, friends, check me out, family members, look at me. It's, hey, look at me, and in spite of me, look at him. So be a teller. Jesus came, last thing you write this down, Jesus came into our personal world so we could take him into our public world. Jesus will meet you in the quiet of a prayer that you whisper under your breath. Lord, here am I a sinner. Save me. God, help me. God, I don't know what to do. Give me wisdom. And as God responds and God answers and he gives grace and peace and help and strength and forgiveness, at some point God tells us to not just go and see, but to go and tell. To be a shepherd, to be a teller. And so as we walk out of here today, I'm going to give you an entry-level position to be a teller. This is entry-level. This is bottom of the barrel right here. This is the lowest of the low. Everybody can do it to be a teller. Is We're going to have a stack of invite cards. When you walk out of here, I want to challenge everybody in this room. There's only five here. Your job is to take these and not, between now and now, in our Christmas services, December 22nd is our first one. Invite somebody to be your guest. We have seven Christmas experiences, four here in Florence, Saturday the 22nd, at four and six, Sunday at nine and 11. In Lawrenceburg, we have have three experiences. We have uh, Saturday at six, Sunday at nine and 11. Seven experiences, two locations. Your job is to get one person here, be a teller. If you can't give the details, you get them here. I'll give them the details. We'll partner together to win your friends and family. Come on, somebody. Because Jesus didn't just come for you and me. He came for them. And so I want to pray for you today. How many people here, even if it makes you a little nervous, would be honest enough to say, man, I, I want the courage and I want the opportunity to be a teller. So entry level, grab five cards. Make it your job to invite five people. Just get one here. Statistics tell us that people are open to an invita- a personal invitation. Not an, Im- not an invitation for me, a personal invitation. Statistics say 50% of people who receive a personal invitation will come. That's in general. Second stat tells us that people are more open to attend church at Christmas than any other time of the year. You put those two together, you almost can't fail to get at least one person here. So... Father, I come, Lord, in the name of Jesus, thankful that you showed up in our mess to rescue us. Lord, now you want to use us. And so, Father, I pray every person in this room would be a teller, would share who Jesus is and what he's done. And, Father, I thank you that, God, life change is going to continue to happen in us and through us. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed, said amen, amen. God bless you guys, man. We'll see you next week for week two.